the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, welcome in. Kathy Emmons with you on this happy Thursday in the city of Pittsburgh. It's a spectacular day outside. It's the best that summer has to offer. It's low humidity. It's gorgeous sunshine. And I'm here with New Mike. New Mike, greetings to you. Greetings and welcome. We're without John Hall today because he's taking a day off. Um, but don't you worry. We've got a uh, jam-packed show full of content coming up for you today. In the 5 o'clock hour, I will talk to a good friend of mine, Dr. Joe LeConte from uh, the King's College in New York City. And he'll talk about a project that we've mentioned on our show a bunch of times because I love it so much. It's a, um, a new series um, of videos that he's putting together on... J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, their friendship together, um, their commonalities in uh, in being professors, their commonalities also in fighting in World War One, and their commonalities of being some of the world's greatest novelists. And um, he's putting together this great documentary. It's a series that's going to start in November. And uh, we've talked about it before, but we're going to get into some details on that. That's in our five o'clock hour. So if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis or a fan of um, J.R.R. Tolkien, that's coming up at 5.15 this evening. Um, Dr. Jay Bruce will be with us at 4.40 today, and we're going to talk about um, community and how we can make not just America great again, but focus in particular about our own communities. And in just a little bit, we'll talk about a neglected spiritual discipline, perhaps you don't think of, watchfulness. But before we do that, New Mike, speaking of watchfulness, how often do you, my friend, watch golf? Not as much as I want to. I mean, I, I love the sport of golf. I love it. Me too. I love playing it. And in fact, it's crazy. I haven't, I usually go out at least two to three times in, in the summertime. Okay. I haven't gone out once this summer. And I'm really bummed about it. What are you doing wrong? I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And my dad goes out every Wednesday. So, like, kudos to him. Yeah, but your dad doesn't have a two year old. That's true. That's true. And that is, is another reason why I don't get to watch it. As much as I want to. Isn't it a good sport to watch? It's unbelievably. Of course it is. It's amazing. Listen. It's ev- relaxing. I know. Every time I bring up golf, John Hall talks to me like I'm some crazy person. He's like, how would you possibly want to watch golf? I said, it's one of my favorite sports how to watch. How could you not want to watch Oh my it? gosh. It's a great sport to watch. Yeah. Okay. Did you watch the PGA a couple weeks ago or last weekend? Um, on and off. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. hard with little kids. It is. I mean, when you've got two-year-old Dr. J running yeah. around, it's not like conducive to watching golf. Because you really have to pay attention. One thing I do know for sure is that Tiger is coming back. He was really, it was the first time I have seen him great in yeah. a whole decade. Yeah. I'm excited for him. I mean, yes, his personal choices I don't agree with, mm-hmm. but... Heck of a golfer. Oh, are you kidding me? And, Heck of a golfer. And we don't know how much personal growth he's had in the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, and he that. doesn't have to tell us. It's true. You know, it's, yeah. it's not like I have to know. Right. Um, but I certainly hope the best for him. And he 
brings such an element of competition, grit, all of that to golf. I mean, you can just see how much the crowd is dying for him to, oh, yeah. w- to win. He's, he's entertaining to watch. I mean, I felt bad for, what's his name, Kepke, who won only because he didn't get nearly the ovation that Tiger right. Watt coming yeah. in second. Yeah. Anyway, my question for you is this. Have you heard about the match? No. Thanksgiving weekend. Okay, so you think of Thanksgiving, you think of eating your, your turkey, the whole nine and yards, hanging out. You're going to what? And watching football. Well, you might be watching something else. What? Yes. Tell me. Listen, sometime during the holiday weekend coming up, okay. this coming Thanksgiving, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson will tee off in a televised 18-hole duel live from Las Vegas with $9 million on the line. Okay, time out. All right. Mm-hmm. This was a one-on-one? Yep. This... Yeah, they just they announced they announced it yesterday during our show, but because we were already like you know programmed, I couldn't just bring it up. Kudos to whoever produced this. Isn't that a great idea? I know it is. I know it is. Watch it. Okay, so apparently it's going to be uh, well. ESPN reported reported it's going to be Friday, November twenty third, but that's not. I looked around and a couple places are saying no, they're not really sure exactly what day it's going to be, but it's going to be that weekend. Here's the trick. Okay. It's pay-per-view. Oh. It's pay-per-view. It's the first golf thing ever that's been pay-per-view. You know what my question is. What's your question? Will you pay to watch it? It's really tempting. Those are two great, amazing golfers. I know. And and they've been each other's nemesis. I mean, certainly Tiger's been more of Mickelson's nemesis. Right. Because he's won so much more. Yeah. But these are the two dudes. That's amazing. Now, let me ask you this. Is what are they going to do with the money? Are they golfing for causes or are they just is it, are they going to pocket this? They're going to pocket this. Oh my gosh. How many, <laughs> how much did you say? How much? 9 million dollars. 9. Can you imagine? I know. I know. Now they could announce at some point that they're playing for charity, but that is not part of the announcement. Oh my no, no, gosh. No. Okay, have you ever paid to watch any sporting event on TV? Yes. Have you? Um, Boxing. Well, <laughs> no, you're going to laugh. Don't wait. Don't even say the whole like thing with Floyd Merriweather and the guy who was no. like the MMA guy. No, even worse. What? WWF. Oh God. WCW. Come WWE. on. Yeah, yeah. I I, lo- I I love it. I I do. I love it. Wait a minute. Hold on. How much does that cost? I'm not gonna. I, well, I I don't even know if it should. I shouldn't say. No. My wife's gonna be. No, no. You're saying. I've hit it. You're saying. Um. You're just here among friends. I, I do. <laughs> I'm Ser- not, seriously, Mike. I'm not none of us are going to tell, Mrs. New Mike. None of us are going to tell. Yeah, well, I, I love WCW. Used to watch it all all the time. Okay. Well, obviously, WCW is not 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 on air anymore. It's WWE. But yeah, I, that's the only one that I've paid for. That's the only type of sport that I've paid. Okay, for. Okay, how long of an event is that? Um. Close to two hours. Okay. Sometimes okay. three. Okay. Is it $99? It, yeah. It, maybe, Is it? Maybe a little bit higher sometimes. Oh. <laughs> depending on the event. Yeah. Okay. So I looked this up because I've never done a pay-per-view thing. So looking at um, Floyd Merriweather and Manny Pacquiao, that was $99. Okay. And when Floyd Merriweather went the crazy against, uh, what's his name, Conor McGregor, that was also $99. Okay. okay. There, I don't see any way in the world that they can charge $99 to watch Tiger and Phil. Oh, but they I will. Mean, no they, way. They definitely will. No, would, no. Oh, yes, yeah. No. Yeah. 
because it's Tiger and Phil. It they. I'm surprised they don't charge it for charge you 150. Okay, okay but really. listen, but but there you can watch them play all the time. Well, you can't watch Floyd Merriweather box all but the time. One on one, that's like I know this is this is a really interesting there's no people game. are not going to pay ninety nine dollars to watch a golf yes, match. Yes, they definitely will, especially golfers like obsessed golfers. Yes, they definitely. Oh yeah, definitely will. I would. I can't, you would you pay ninety nine dollars to watch Tiger and Phil? Oh yeah. What? I would. Really. Yeah. I, I, it's again. It's Tiger and Phil. I mean, there's these are. This is like Tyson and I know it is and Mayweather. It is. It is. But I'm still, totally, yeah, I'd totally pay that. All right. Yes, it's a, it's pretty pricey, but still, you think I would? I would pay. For okay. Well, here's okay. Let me make one thing clear. We don't know how much it's going to cost yet. Okay. okay. They have not released how much it's going to cost. I was just I just went back and looked at previous pay per views yeah. because since I've never done it, I had no idea what kind of rate we were I talking about. I know UFC about. fights are around like ninety to a hundred. So And that's about two hours? Well it could be a lot less. It could be ten seconds. Right, yeah. Depending on how Okay, if you pay ninety nine bucks and literally it's a knockout in ten seconds, what what do they do for the rest of the time? <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. Do they like go back and review the whole thing and talk about all the like essential elements at like the post game? Apparently, I, I have no idea what they do. All right, okay. So you're voting yes for the pay per view. I vote yes. It's definitely well, worth it. I mean, if you do it, I have to do it. Well, well, we could we could always split fifty fifty. Do you think they'll pay it at the station? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the idea of a pay per view, though, is that right. one part you're going to chip in. Yeah. Well, John's not coming. Well, we're gonna have to find other people. Okay, we're gonna. What about your husband? All right, uh, he'll wa- he he watches every major with me. Oh, does he? He always does. It's yeah, he's man. he's really good about it. He's really good about it. But he does not golf himself. What's he, the matter with that John Hall? He and I know he's missing out. We had to talk to him. I'll tell you one thing: if you want to relax and just appreciate the finer yeah. things in life, you sit down and watch golf. Heck yes. Okay, You're, if you feel like your life is chaotic, if you feel like your house is disorganized, you feel. You just need to sit down and watch yourself some golf. There's something about hearing Jim Nance. Yes, and he's on the tee. <laughs> he winds up. Don't you love that? He's three under par. <laughs> it's just so relaxing to hear. I love it. It makes me a little sleepy. I can never be a golf host. I know. <laughs> they're so quiet. I know. They're so quiet, and they're. Anyway, look, if things don't, if things don't work out for, well for us here, we could maybe look into doing that in the future. I'm down. Okay. I mean, Jim Nance is getting up there. He could look he for is. something to replace him. Anyway, coming up, we're going to talk to uh, Brian Hedges. What is the spiritual discipline that you're missing out on? Maybe it's not golf. Maybe it's something more like, I don't know, watchfulness. We'll talk next on the ride home. 101.5 WORD. Everywhere you go, anywhere you go, Word FM goes with you. That's because we're no longer trapped inside a radio. We're now everywhere you are, and you carry us around in your pocket. We're ubiquitous. There's an app for that, right? On TuneIn, on iHeart, on our own app, on WordFM.com, on ChristianRadio.com, on the next Radio FM chip. The iPhone. The iPhone. The iPhone. The iPhone. On your iPad, iPhone, and Android. We're always with you because we're inside your pocket. Whatever you do, don't lose us. One of 1.5 WORD. How much do you spend on your pest control each year? 200 300 or even $500 or more? What if I said you could spend less than $25 a year, even less with promo code RADIO20? Then listen up. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-In Pest Free, 
And yes, it is possible to rid your home or business of unwanted pests for less than $25 per year. The answer is Plug-In Pest Free. Our best seller, the Plug-In Pest Free Pro, will cover up to 4,000 square feet. Now that's fair dinkum. For just a one-time cost of only $249, even less with promo code RADIO20, you'll be pest-free for years to come. Log on to gopestfree.com today. Use promo code RADIO20 and start driving those pests away. Don't spray and regret. Plug in and forget. Gopestfree.com. That's gopestfree.com. Promo code Radio 20. RPTS, the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Point Breeze, presents the 2018 Westminster Conference, Saturday, September 8th, at Memorial Park Church in Allison Park. Join Drs. Ligon Duncan, Joel Beakey, Michael Lefebvre, and RPTS President Barry York for this year's theme, Soundly Preaching the Word of God, preaching that is plain, faithful, wise, and zealous. The 2018 Westminster Conference, bringing the Westminster Confession into the 21st century. Register now at rpts.edu. Hey, Pittsburgh, Calusi Chevrolet in Bridgeville is celebrating like never before. Hi, this is Tun Chilkin, and the team at Calusi has been serving the Pittsburgh area for 100 years. That's right, since 1918, they've been a trusted name for great deals and great service. And right now, during their anniversary sale, they're offering the best deals of the year on every vehicle in stock. You can check out their huge inventory and great deals online at Calusi.com. Chevrolet. Find new roads. You don't know when your AC unit will call it quits, but you can rest assured it'll be at the most inconvenient time possible. And who has all day to wait around for a tech to arrive? With Ventec, there is no waiting around, including evenings and weekends. Ventec will repair and replace forced air, central AC, and even offers split mini duct units to heat and cool individual rooms. With flat rate pricing instead of hourly fees. Clean, courteous, convenient, and A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Ventec, 412-793-0661. you're earnestly attempting a uh, spiritual life. The spiritual disciplines are uh, an absolutely essential part of us getting our act together. Uh, it's the best way I can put it. Um, if you've never heard of spiritual disciplines, um, I'll tell you a couple of them off the top of my head. So the spiritual disciplines of prayer or fasting or study or reading the word, um, Disciplines of uh, solitude. I mean, there are different ones of of submission, of um, service, um, disciplines of simplicity or celibacy or um, abstinence in, in, in some, whether it comes to food or it comes to drink or it comes to whatever. There are all sorts of spiritual disciplines. And at different times in my life, I've practiced different ones. Now, hopefully... The general ones like prayer and study are ones that are consistent um, and have been in my life. But at different times, I have abstained from different things. Um, right now, I, I've talked about this a couple times. I uh, gave up sugar uh, on Easter and it was not this great type of like, you know, spiritual event that I just, you know, decided to give it up because I was just wanted to submit to God's will. It wasn't that. It was really just much more, you know, regular in that I just felt like sugar had become way too important to me. And I was just obsessing about what I was going to eat and, you know, making all sorts of things that were not healthy and weren't good for my family. And I just, I just didn't feel good about myself, just to be brutally honest. But in the giving up of the sugar, which was very hard. <laughs> 
and continues to be just awful. I'll be honest with you, um, though it has gotten easier. It's just one of those things that reminds me that we struggle in life to discipline ourselves and to live lives that are effective and lives that are healthy. And um, I don't say any of that to look down on anyone else for eating sugar. I don't care what you're eating. I mean, that, that's up to you um, because your issues are your issues. I just know what my issues are. And uh, that's one of the ways that I've just I don't know, enjoyed over the last several months, just trying to kind of get a grip on things and try to like think about my life and think about God in a different way. Well, one of the spiritual disciplines I have to tell you, I have rarely thought about is the discipline of watchfulness or vigilance. And so I'm excited to have Brian Hedges on the line with us. Brian serves as lead pastor of Redeemer Church in Niles, Michigan, and he's the author of several books, including Christ Formed in You, Active Spirituality and Watchfulness, Recovering a Lost Spiritual Discipline. Brian, welcome in. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Kathy. Now, I'm guessing that I'm not the only person who has said to you, wow, watchfulness, that's a spiritual discipline I've never considered. Well, I'm not sure if anyone has said it in those words, but I do think uh, watchfulness is kind of one of the underestimated, overlooked disciplines, for sure. Okay, so when is the first time that you started? I mean, is watchfulness something that you always knew about and something you've always practiced? No, no, not at all. Um, so several things happened. Uh, I was I've kind of been a student of Puritan literature, so these are the right. English writers, um, 17th century. So I've been reading them for years, and I noticed a few years ago that uh, the Puritan John Owen, in his writings, would often list together uh, several spiritual disciplines, such as prayer, meditation, and so on, and watching would often be in that list, and that just caught my attention. Uh, So I started looking into that, trying to figure out, you know, what that was, what did he mean? And then I discovered that an earlier uh, Puritan author, who was actually probably the first Protestant guy to compile a list of spiritual disciplines, a guy named Richard Rogers, when he did that, in his list of private disciplines, the very first one on the list was watching. And so as I was studying this, I just realized that this was a very common practice uh, among Puritans and evangelicals uh, of that time period. And then on through uh, the 19th century, you you had this language popping up a lot, but it wasn't in any of the manuals of spiritual disciplines that have been written in the 20th century. Um, so that's, that's where it got my interest. Okay, what does watching mean? Well, there are four ingredients. This is the way I break it down, four ingredients to it. So first of all, it means staying awake. Uh, so literally, there is a, a wakefulness aspect to it. So you think of Jesus to his disciples in the garden, watch and pray, mm, right. lest you enter into temptation. And so it's interesting that um, in Catholic, in contemplative spirituality, uh, you do have something called vigils. And so sometimes people will talk about that, and that kind of comes from this idea of staying awake, so a nighttime vigil. But uh, in Scripture, this language of being awake also carries the idea of moral vigilance or spiritual vigilance, and it has to do with um, this wakefulness, but then also attentiveness, so that we are attending to, paying attention to the right things, and then vigilance against our enemies, so an awareness of danger, whether it's temptation or uh, Satan, you think of... Peter's words, be sober, be vigilant mm-hmm. for your adversary like a roaring lion uh, seeking whom you may devour. And then uh, the fourth ingredient would be expectancy. Uh, so a lot of the language in Scripture about watching has to do with the coming of the Son of Man. And so we're told to watch 
mm-hmm. uh, to keep our eyes open, expectant towards Christ. So it's really the, the combination of those qualities uh, is what makes up this attitude of watchfulness. Okay, so if that's what watching looks like, what are the things in modern life which are working against us using, becoming that way and and adopting that spiritual practice? Wow, that's a huge question. There's so many. Uh, I think the pace of life is one thing. We just don't take time to slow down. Um, We always have devices with us, so the proliferation of technology, uh, it's hard to just find quiet and solitude um, and time to really um, to think and to mm-hmm. examine ourselves and to be aware. So that's that's one thing. Yeah. Um, that's probably the, the major thing. And uh, so, yeah. Well, as you were speaking, I was thinking about uh, Andy Crouch, who's a favorite author of mine. And in one of his books, I think it might have been the technology book, um, he said a phrase that I wrote down and I've thought about like innumerable times since then. He said the creativity only comes on the other side of boredom. And he was talking, I think, I'm pretty sure it was in the tech book, because he was talking about um, how kids react to technology um, and the kinds of things that technology can retard in uh, the life of a child if it's overused. And um, But I I thought about that in, in my own life a lot, that, you know, in growing up, there was a lot of time when, you know, you have to come up with something to do. Right. You could you don't you know, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have, you know, the Internet. I didn't have any of those things. And so when it's the middle of summer and you're by yourself for six hours, you come up with something to do. Right. And that's where I cultivated a lot of just the normal practices I have, which are reading. Right. That's that's how I learned to love books is because I had to come up with something to do. So I wonder if there's something similar in that if we're trying to cultivate an attitude of expectancy, if we don't expect anything because because we're all, all of our, we're full already. We'll never get to that point of, of thinking that we need anything else. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, I'm sure you're aware that um, neuroscientists have even studied how technology has remapped our brains. It's rewired our brains so that we still have the same kind of attention span uh, that, that people did before or that people do who regularly abstain from technology and cultivate these slower kinds of disciplines like reading. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think watchfulness falls into one of those, uh, into that category of something that's very important to do. Uh, it doesn't feel pressing. It doesn't feel urgent, but it's important to do. And we impoverish, uh, impoverish our lives when we fail to practice we're talking to Brian Hedges. He's lead pastor of Redeemer Church in Niles, Michigan. We're talking about spiritual disciplines. So um, what? Well, why don't you tell us the example I believe you started your article with about um, when you had your job and you were concerned about rattlesnakes? <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is when I was, I don't know, 19 or 20 years old. I worked for a rancher in Texas uh, where I was essentially just walking over um, – acres and acres of uncultivated ranch land, grassland, and I was spraying mesquite trees. Uh, it was little trees that just kind of grew up naturally in Texas. So I was spraying mesquite trees, and uh, the, it was a really boring job, except there were rattlesnakes up there. So this is this is just, I don't know, 60 miles away from uh, Sweetwater, Texas, where they have rattlesnake roundup every year. And that's what kept me on my guard. Mm, I was I always watching for the snake. The only thing, I didn't have a gun or anything to kill the snake with. I just had a pair of shaps, these plastic shaps that were over my over my jeans. 
and that would deflect the fangs of a rattler. Uh, but I came within about uh, 18 inches or two feet of stepping on a rattler one time. Um, and so I, I just use that as an illustration for how we need to be wary and vigilant because there's danger all around us. Mm-hmm. And I think we're often unaware of that danger. And so we're not watchful. And then we, we find ourselves surprised with uh, temptation, with problems in our lives because we're not paying attention. Right. So how do you, and I, I certainly get the, that's an excellent um, example with the rattlesnakes because there are dangers and the dangers aren't maybe the things that would jump out at us, but they're the dangers of things that are insidious that can creep into our lives without us noticing, especially if we're too busy, right. filled up with technology or whatever it is that that's using up all of our time. But how do you, like I could see easily crossing over into the line of paranoia, right? Where you're so concerned about about being watchful that you're just obsessing about every little thing in your life. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's there's always a danger with writing about these kinds of things to, to turn it into something that's introspective in an unhealthy kind of way. And uh, the way that I've countered that in the book and in my own life is... Uh, a statement that 19th century Scottish pastor made. His name was Robert Murray McShane. And he said, for every one look at self, take ten looks at Christ. And I think that's a very mm. good advice. So it's, uh, so where you, so it's kind of what you're, what you're uh, you know, focusing on. Yeah, Inward or exactly. outward. Got um, it. Right. So it's not only self-examination, and it's not that we're always thinking about ourselves, but it's that we are creating space in our lives where we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. Again, that's the note of expectancy. The watching that Jesus speaks of in the parables is watching for the Son. Mm -hmm. It's looking for Him. Um, And so I I think that's the crucial thing, is we've we've got to keep our eyes on Him, and we're setting aside time for Him. We do this, of course, with meditation and prayer. Watchfulness, that language just adds the elements of being aware of the dangers and really focusing our attention. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so than, you brought, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I remember yeah. that you brought up in your article the um, the story of Jesus, or and you, you said it yourself when we started talking, Jesus saying to Peter, watch and pray so that you won't fall into yeah. temptation. And of course, Peter did yeah. not watch or pray and fell asleep, um, and then right. did it two more times. Uh, so, right. But he didn't say, watch and pray over yourself, or watch it was it was more I need someone to be with me, you know. Can can you stay with? Could, and he says at the end, could you not stay with me? Could you not stay awake for just a little bit of time and help me out here? So yeah. so that is um, so there's like a balance because he also said watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. So it's, so Peter was supposed to be watchful for himself, but at the same That's time right. he was supposed to be concerned about Jesus, the friend he said was the best he'd had. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and so, again, I mean, the, the focus is not only a separate focus, or even mainly, it's it's focusing on Christ. Uh, if I could just maybe end with another illustration. Yeah. Uh, the Song of Solomon is a, a wonderful book. It's been read in lots of different ways in the history of the Church. One great way of reading that book is of the relationship between the believer and Christ. And in the Song of Solomon, you have this uh, point where the bride has... Uh, essentially refused to arouse herself from sleep to go spend time with the bridegroom. And he leaves, and she loses him. And then she she realizes what she's lost, and she runs out to the street until she finds him again. And then when she finds him, she lays hold of him, and she says, I would not let him go. And I think that 
describes the spirit of the watchful person. Mm -hmm. Um, The lack of watchfulness is when we fall asleep, we're not paying attention, we're not spending time with him. We become watchful when we go seeking him again, and then once we have him, once we're in fellowship with Jesus, we're saying, I'm holding him and I won't let him go. Well, that's really good. I very much appreciate this. It's something I hadn't thought of in the past, Brian, and um, I appreciate your work in this. We've been talking to Brian Hedges. He's lead pastor of Redeemer Church in Niles, Michigan. Information about Brian, you can find it now on our Facebook page, The Ride Home with John and Kathy, or on our website, johnandkathyshow.com. We'll be back. It's more of the Thursday edition of The Ride Home. can hardly believe it, but it's time for the last barbecue of the summer at the Springhouse in 84. Don't miss out on this great summer taste treat and come to the Springhouse this Labor Day for fantastic chicken cooked over the pit with lots of country vegetable casseroles, homemade rolls, homemade desserts, and of course our own Springhouse chocolate milk. Eat in our picnic patch or sun porch or take it home to your own picnic. And although this last chicken barbecue marks the end of the summer at the Springhouse, it also signals the beginning of lots of fun fall events. We'll soon be having hog roasts and pumpkin patch hay rides, plus lots of other special events to celebrate this beautiful autumn time of the year. So be sure to come this Labor Day to the Springhouse and help us celebrate. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, Find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs, like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray-on bed liners, tonneau covers, weather tech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters, always a favorite. Extreme car and truck in Bridgeville, for the extreme in all of us. At ExtremeTruck.net. Hey, Pittsburgh, Calusi Chevrolet in Bridgeville is celebrating like never before. Hi, this is Tun Chilkin, and the team at Calusi has been serving the Pittsburgh area for 100 years. That's right, since 1918, they've been a trusted name for great deals and great service. And right now, during their anniversary sale, they're offering the best deals of the year on every vehicle in stock. You can check out their huge inventory and great deals online at Calusi.com. Chevrolet. Find new roads. Let's get to work with E-Verify, the modernized employment eligibility verification partner that can maximize your potential. They're helping employers throughout the hiring process so they can focus on other business. Get started at everifygovernor slash go. Partly cloudy and comfortable tonight, the low 53 degrees. There'll be a few areas of fog developing later tonight and into early tomorrow. For the day tomorrow, very nice once again, mostly sunny, 79. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, 61 degrees. Then for Saturday, a mix of clouds and sun with a spotty afternoon shower or thunderstorm, high 78. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. This day, like most days, uh, President Trump does not disappoint when it comes to interesting tweets. All sorts of stuff he's tweeted out uh, from, uh, over I would say, over the last couple days, maybe. Um, things about Paul Manafort, about, uh, you know, if you're looking for a lawyer, you might not want to pick. Michael Cohen, 
um, things about the hurricane, uh, things about the FBI, things about Medal of Honor recipients. I mean, it goes on and on. And then, of course, no collusion uh, rigged witch hunt. Uh, it's never a dull moment. And uh, But to kind of put that in perspective, we're going to have Thomas Kidd with us in just a minute. He's a history professor from Baylor University. And he'll tell us a little bit about how different presidents have navigated that space between being president and being just a regular American. So Thomas Kidd is coming up next. We'll talk to him right home. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit, 800-786-9300. That's 800-786-9300. 800-786-9300. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. It's probably been about 10 years ago. I had quite a few credit cards. The interest on the cards was really high. I was making the minimum payments, but barely. And it was just getting to be too much, so I called Trinity. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at one 800 936 5496 to talk to a certified counselor. They met with me and they were able to get all of my credit cards in one lower payment. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy to manage monthly payment, put a stop to late fees and over limit charges, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. They did help me learn how to manage my money. Now, you know, we have a house and we're doing a lot better. If your debt has you down, call Trinity at 1 800 930 My name is Holly, and I am debt-free for keeps. 1-800-936-5496. You know, they say the best is yet to come. But to make that true for your retirement, you need a plan. Well, start by tuning in for Your Retirement Blueprint with Kurt Kenotic and Ethan Lane with Accurate Solutions Group every Saturday morning at 10. Kurt and Ethan can help simplify the retirement planning process. No technical terms or calculations, no product pushing, just the information you need for retirement. Don't miss Your Retirement Blueprint with Kurt Kenotic and Ethan Lane of Accurate Solutions Group every Saturday morning at 10 right here on 101.5 Word FM. to gauge a president in his current time. Sometimes it's um it, sometimes it requires uh time to step away, sometimes it requires years to step away. Sometimes knowing, I, I not just sometimes, I think all the time, 
knowing your history and seeing what presidents in the past have done helps us to understand how things are and what's going on with our current president in today's culture. So amidst all the conversation about President Trump, we turn to uh, a man who knows history so well and longs to communicate it, not just to students, but to the public at large. And so we're happy to have Dr. Thomas Kidd back with us. Tom's a distinguished professor of history and associate director of the Institute for Studies of Religion at Baylor University. Tom's books include American Colonial History, Clashing Cultures and Faith, Patrick Henry First Among Patriots, and his newest work, Benjamin Franklin, The Religious Life of a Founding Father. Thomas, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Uh, Tom, do you agree with that, that as we try to judge seemingly on a minute-by-minute basis what people think of our current president, it's interesting that we often do that without knowing anything, or very little at least, about our past presidents. Sure, that's absolutely right. I'm actually writing an American history textbook right now, and it's it's tempting, you know, when you know big media controversies are happening about President Trump to think, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to put this in the textbook. <laughs> you know, but then you get a week or two past it, and it, it doesn't seem as important anymore. And I, I think historians would all say that you definitely need some perspective on uh, the significance of, of various events. And, and we're so enamored with what happens with presidents uh, because they have so much power, they have so much influence, they, they really do. But you do have to get some time and perspective and look back and, and to be able to weigh the merits of uh, policies and decisions that they make. And that, that's uh, partly why historians still have a job. And so much is at stake. I mean, you know, I think about the things that are on my mind when I come into work each day. It is hard to get your head around what it would be like to be the president of a nation this size with this much influence. Uh, it is it's enormously difficult what they have to do. And, and I mean, they have all the resources in the world at, at their disposal. But uh, like you know, people, CEOs and, and people with any kind of authority, I mean, you just – you never quite know uh, the, what the impact of your policy, this decision, that decision, is going to be. And we're, uh, you know, all leaders are also just mere mortals. And so uh, unintended consequences and the more, more complex decisions get, um, the more likely it is that any given decision is going to have uh, unexpected consequences, and that that's partly why presidents' jobs are, are so difficult. And we never know what's right around the corner. I mean, George W. Bush would never have expected um, what 9-11 would look like and what it would bring. And so courage and good decision-making under duress is one of the things that we value in our past presidents and that we should pray for in our current president. So you decided first off to write about Abraham Lincoln. Why? Well, I think that one of the reasons why Lincoln is is so admired, um, he, he's not universally admired in America today, but but pretty close. And uh, I, I think one of the reasons that we kind of set Lincoln apart is because he um, made such difficult decisions that, in general, turned out very well um, in in the midst of, I think probably the most difficult circumstances of any American president. Um, I mean, obviously, George Washington, Franklin Roosevelt, people like that had had some pretty difficult situations they had to contend with. But Lincoln comes into office, and the nation is literally falling apart. Uh, with secession, he's looking right into the face of civil war, and he has 
almost no executive experience at all coming into the presidency. Um, and, and the decisions he makes are not perfect. Uh, he, he struggles for a while, I think, especially as a military leader. Um, so, so he, like the rest of them, is, is a mortal person with limited vision. But in the end, he's able to enter that situation as um, a, an executive with very little experience facing unique challenges and is able, in general, to make really pretty good effective decisions um, to, to face that national crisis. And I, I think that's why he's usually, in, in most Americans, at least top two or three uh, most successful presidents, if not number one. Now, I've heard people argue this back and forth that, you know, well, we shouldn't give Lincoln that much credit for emancipating the slaves because, he, you know, the Civil War wasn't about that. It was strictly about, for him, preserving the Union. Well, that, it's true that I think for Lincoln, his number one priority, uh, certainly as a matter of policy, is preserving the Union. I mean, there's no more important job that any president has than keeping the, the country intact. Um, and so he says going into the war that that's his number one priority. And he believes uh, when he's elected that he actually doesn't have the authority to free the slaves. Um but he, he comes to believe over time, and this is controversial among historians, and certainly uh, white Southerners didn't like it, but he, he comes to believe that freeing the slaves in the South um, is one of his main ways of preserving the Union. And he thinks it will destabilize the Confederacy. He thinks uh, it will harm the Southern war effort, which it does, and that it will bring many tens of thousands more uh, recruits into the Union Army, which it does because so many slaves, male slaves especially, run away from their masters and sign up with the Union Army and Navy. And so um, it, it's a stroke of genius, I think, in terms of policy to to free the slaves, which he thinks is morally right to do. But as a matter of policy, it helps to save the Union. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's incredibly uh, courageous and innovative for him to do that, and, and I think it's one of the reasons, one of his marks of greatness as a president. We're talking to Dr. Thomas Kidd, Distinguished Professor of History and Associate Director of the Institute for Studies of Religion at Baylor University. Uh, Tom, contrast him with Andrew Johnson, who comes up next. Yeah, Andrew Johnson is not as successful. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's an understatement. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people don't know as much about Andrew Johnson uh, because he uh, is is a one-term uh, president. In fact, he just fills out uh, Lincoln's term because, of course, Lincoln tragically is assassinated at the end of the of the war. Um, Johnson is facing, in a way, um, as great of a challenge, if not a greater challenge, in Reconstruction and bringing the nation back together. Um, and so, I don't want to downplay uh, the the challenges that he is facing, but it contrasts with. Lincoln, who faces these titanic challenges with secession and war, then Johnson faces titanic challenges in Reconstruction, but Johnson is just not up to the task. Uh, Johnson, I think most people think, is um, is a petty politician uh, who gets bogged down into fighting with Congress about Reconstruction policy. And it's just not much interested in helping out uh, the, the freed people in the South. And um, the, the Congress 
is much more inclined to radical changes, uh, civil rights reform, giving the freed people uh, real uh, civil basic rights, legal rights, um, and Johnson is just not much interested in that. And it deteriorates to the point where uh, the Congress gets so frustrated with Johnson that they try to impeach and remove him from office. Now, the, that, I think, is also a mistake by Congress because it just ratchets up the political tension and pettiness in a time when there really needed to be great cooperation uh, among the, the leading politicians of the time. It, in some ways, it's heartening to know that that <laughs> in past times, there was a total lack of cooperation, just like it seems like we have today. Um, but Johnson is impeached. They bring him up for trial for removal from from office. He, he is not removed by by the narrowest of, of margins, but it, it's it ruins his presidency, and he does basically nothing for the rest of his term. And so, in a time of just just massive challenges and needs that the freed people had, uh, Johnson just doesn't help at all, and he almost loses his job over it. And and that's why, in retrospect, he he just looks like a terrible president. Tom, let's move into the 20th century. Talk about Lyndon Johnson. Well, I think Lyndon Johnson, in retrospect, is is a sort of strange combination of someone who takes a really bold initiatives that work and then really bold initiatives that don't work. Uh, and, and domestically, I think you see, especially in the case of civil rights reform, Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. He spent a lot of political capital in uh, helping out, especially African Americans, but other ethnic minorities who had been discriminated against for, you know, a hundred years and more, going back to Andrew Johnson's presidency and uh, emancipation. Um, Linda Johnson is not the most likely candidate to do this. He's a Southern Democrat, and the Democrats at, the, at that time were not necessarily friends of civil rights reform. But uh, after John Kennedy is assassinated, uh, Johnson uses the respect that Americans have for Kennedy to go ahead and push through civil rights reform. And so that's a, a bold initiative that uh, people will look back on now and say, you know, he was, it was morally right for him to do that. It was morally right for him to spend that leadership capital to do it. Uh, by contrast, uh, Johnson's presidency, um, as we all know, is is uh, really wrecked over Vietnam. Right. I mean, he he's the one who really escalates American involvement in Vietnam, um, and it just doesn't go well at all. And by 1968, you have the Tet Offensive, which shows Americans that, uh, in spite of what Kennedy and Johnson had been telling Americans all this time. Uh, the Vietnamese or uh, the North Vietnamese are are still fully capable of launching initiatives against the South Vietnamese and the American forces in Vietnam, and it's so demoralizing, and it, it, it leads to uh, Johnson having to uh, withdraw from his reelection campaign, and and uh, feeds into the chaos in American culture and political life in the late 1960s. And so it's striking to watch, you know, you would think if you're going to be the type of president who takes bold initiatives, it's all going to work or it's all not going to work. But but with Johnson, you see that's completely wrong. His his civil rights initiatives were brilliant and successful, and his Vietnam 
involvement escalation was a total disaster. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Now, I, I need to change subjects for just a minute before we say okay. goodbye. Um, okay. But I do want to know, do you watch TV? I watch a bit of TV, and uh, I, I do watch, uh, my wife and I just finished watching the Emmy-nominated The Crown on Netflix, and it's it's terrific. Isn't, so it, was, isn't it marvelous? Yeah, it's it's marvelous. It's a little soap opera Sure. Uh, but but it's it's fascinating and seeing the way that they depict uh, figures like uh, the Kennedys and so forth. So I was really glad to see that it got uh, nominated and Claire Foy, uh, the Queen Elizabeth. Isn't got, she? Got she? What a tremendous performance. I mean, John Lithgow won the Emmy last year for portraying Churchill, which was spectacular. Yeah. I mean, just spectacular. But uh, Claire Foy, certainly uh, a worthy nominee. Well, Thomas, thank you so much. Um, always appreciate your scholarship. Always appreciate your presence with us. More information about Thomas Kidd available right now on our Facebook page and on our website, com. Bodhi Taney, author of the incredible best-selling Zion Chronicles and Zion Covenant series, returns to the setting of Israel in On the Mountain of the Lord, the first book in the new series, The Elijah Chronicles. In On the Mountain of the Lord, Taney teams up with Holy Land history expert Ray Bentley to give her dedicated historical fiction fans a thrilling story set in the world's most sacred and mysterious sites. Come along on a journey from London to the farthest corners of the world with Jack Garrison, a man who has lost his faith after a a life-altering and devastating event. Jack is sent on a fact-finding mission in Israel and Palestine, where he's attacked by radical Islamic terrorists and is being tracked down by an enemy who wants to stop him from finding the truth that the Bible's prophecy about the nation of Israel and the world's future is true and unfolding before his eyes. Order your copy of Bodhi Taney and Ray Bentley's new book On the Mountain of the Lord, Elijah Chronicles at Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com and select Costco stores. It's the Ford Summer Sales Event. And now, while selection is best, it's the best time to buy. With amazing offers across a full lineup of Ford vehicles, now is the time to make summer go right with Ford, America's best-selling brand. Stop by a local Ford store or shop online at buyfordnow.com because there is no better time than right now to get behind the wheel of a new Ford during the Ford Summer Sales Event. summer sales event is here right now get zero percent apr financing for 72 months plus one thousand dollars ford credit bonus cash on a great lineup of ford suvs best-selling claim based on 2017 calendar year sales not all buyers qualify for ford credit financing 72 months at 1389 per month for one thousand finance regardless of down payment not available on expedition for all offers take new retail delivery from authorized ford dealer stock by 831.18 see dealer or go to buyfordnow.com for qualifications and details She just made me feel so comfortable, and I've been going to her ever since. After avoiding the dentist for years, an emergency led Pamela to Dr. Megan Stock. She made me feel very much at ease. She didn't make me feel shameful about the condition of my teeth, and she was just very easy to talk to. She not only found a dentist, she found a friend. 
I am confident that when I'm finished that I'm going to have a bright, beautiful smile, which I really wanted to have for a long time. Perry Highway in Wexford at StockFamilyDentistry.com. You've committed yourself to pastoring and preaching from the Word of God. You've got to do that against the background of a collapsing culture. And then you've got to do it because of the nature of Scripture itself. Word FM presents Know the Truths, Philip DeCourcy at the 2018 Pastor Appreciation Luncheon. To preach the Bible as the handbook for life rather than as a revelation of Christ is to turn the Bible into an entirely different book. A free event for pastors, October 3rd at Heinz Field. RSVP now at wordfm.com slash pal. New Mike, how do you feel about the banana split? I love banana splits. Do you? Yeah, give me that. Off some. I haven't actually. I actually haven't had a lot of banana splits in my life. My dad's obsessed with them, um, but I've probably had a handful. There's a lot going on. There, there is. I mean, you, I feel like it's just too much of a good thing. There's too many good things you happening. Don't, you don't really like it then? Well, I mean, here I love a banana with chocolate. I think that is just fabulous. But when we start getting like, I think it's the pineapple sauce that throws me off. I see, think once we get to the pineapple thing, I'm like, you know what? This has gone too far. See, I'm the opposite. Once I get to that pineapple, what? I'm like, yeah, I'll have some more of that. I don't know. Yeah. Did, did you know that the banana split was invented just east of Latrobe? What? For real? I didn't know that either. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And the town, Latrobe, will celebrate the 114th birthday wow. of the banana split this weekend. That's awesome. So they're, what are they going to do for it? They're having the uh, Great American Banana Split Celebration. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You should be exulting in all the variety of it. I wonder how many people are going to go to this. Probably a lot. Listen, it's a Friday through Sunday festival. It includes all sorts of activities and events. It's a whole weekend. But the, we think we're going to do this in a couple hours. Oh, my gosh. The star is a banana peeled and sliced lengthwise just in case you're wondering, with the halves pressed against the sides of three scoops of ice cream, but the three scoops of ice cream have to be vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. Mm. It has to be in a rectangular dish or that like scoopish looking thing they have. You know, it's kind of like an oval. Okay. The vanilla is topped with pineapple sauce. The chocolate's topped with chocolate sauce. The strawberry's topped with strawberry sauce. And then it's all topped with whipped cream. See, that's that, also way too much. No way. That that's all way sounds good to me. Sprinkled with chopped peanuts and the end scoops topped with maraschino cherries, which is gross. While the middle scoop apparently should be garnished traditionally with a paper American flag. Okay, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> Apparently, says the PG, that's how they do it at the Valley Dairy, the sponsor in the place where festival growers can get their old-fashioned fix. You can buy a banana split there for $6. Six bucks. Yeah. But at the Latrobe Dairy Queen, not an official sponsor of the event, they are also offering banana splits for the bargain price of two twenty-nine. Yeah. Now, so we should salute uh, apprentice pharmacist David Strickler, credited with commissioning the traditional boat-shaped serving dishes from the Westmoreland Glass Company. Nice. The very first banana split. We salute you. Ten cents. Ten cents. Mm-hmm. And that was twice as much as a traditional Sunday. So you were really like going out on a limb. You were spending a whole ten cents on that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now here's the thing. Um, Wilmington, Ohio, apparently also claims to be the banana split's birthplace in 1907, but we don't, of course, acknowledge that because we love Latrobe more. Of course we do. Okay, so they can kind of. Like fight what that out in their, to do, their own neighborhood. Yeah. Now I, I have to be honest. If I had to go banana split 
or Tin Roof Sunday. Do you know what a Tin Roof Sunday is? No. What is that? Tin Roof Sunday, vanilla ice cream, chocolate sauce, mm. salted peanuts. Oh, okay. Also, if you'd like, you can put the whipped cream and the maraschino cherry on top. I choose not to because I don't like either one. What about peanut butter fudge? Stop it. Yeah. You got to add peanut butter <laughs> you're fudge. You're not there. adding. No, you're adding peanuts. You're not adding peanut butter fudge. Peanuts and peanut butter fudge. Well, then, Let's isn't go. that like a nutty buddy? If, not a nutty buddy. What's it called? Like peanut butter parfait. I'll tell you what it is. It's good. <laughs> it's yummy. Meanwhile, I've, I haven't had sugar since like oh my Easter. So I you, did. I had a cookie last night. You better avoid I'm not, this I'm not completely sugar-free. I'm just saying I'm trying not to eat sugar. And so last night, my daughter made cookies. I had to eat one. But I'm proud of you. The banana split thing, if I could just get rid of the strawberry sauce and pineapple sauce, I, I seriously think I'd feel pretty good about it. But you're going whole hog, and I support oh, yeah. you. I, I support you. All right. Well, happy birthday to the uh, banana split. Happy well, birthday. Woo! Sharing the word that changes the world. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. President Trump is criticizing his attorney general again, but this time Jeff Sessions is hitting back. Sessions has long been a Trump target, and on Fox and Friends, the president all but said Sessions has been a disappointment since the beginning. I put an attorney general that never took control of the Justice Department, Jeff Sessions. He says Sessions only got the job because the president felt loyalty to him as an original supporter. Sessions responded he took control of the Justice Department the day he was sworn in, and its actions will not be improperly influenced by political considerations. Sagar Magani at the White House. On Wall Street today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down by 76 points to 25,657. The Nasdaq dropping 11, the S&P lower by 5, oil down slightly 3 cents to 67.83 a barrel. This is SRN News. We can hardly believe it, but it's time for the last barbecue of the summer at the Springhouse in 84. Don't miss out on this great summer taste treat. And come to the Springhouse this Labor Day for fantastic chicken cooked over the pit with lots of country vegetable casseroles, homemade rolls, homemade desserts, and of course our own Springhouse chocolate milk. Eat in our picnic patch or sun porch or take it home to your own picnic. And although this last chicken barbecue marks the end of the summer at the Springhouse, it also signals the beginning of lots of fun fall events. We'll soon be having hog roasts and pumpkin patch hay rides, plus lots of other special events to celebrate this beautiful autumn time of the year. So be sure to come this Labor Day to the Springhouse and help us celebrate. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC resident investment advisory firm. We're Sound Income Strategies, and baby boomers who have heard our message and called for a free income kit now understand the secret to a great retirement is our middle name, Income. You see, at Sound Income Strategies, we transform high-fee, high-taxed retirement spend-downs into sustained retirement income. It's time for you to join the income generation. For your free, no-obligation income kit, call 866-913-1234, 866-913-1234 to speak to an income specialist. Call 866-913-1234, Sound Income Strategies. 
Remember, the secret to a great retirement is our middle name, Income. For your free income kit, call 866-913-1234. 866-913-1234. Call now. RPTS, the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Point Breeze, presents the 2018 Westminster Conference, Saturday, September 8th, at Memorial Park Church in Allison Park. Join Drs. Ligon Duncan, Joel Beakey, Michael Lefebvre, and RPTS President Barry York for this year's theme, Soundly Preaching the Word of God, preaching that is plain, faithful, wise, and zealous. The 2018 Westminster Conference, bringing the Westminster Confession into the 21st century. Register now at rpts.edu. Picture your garage, but with a lot more space. Yoder's Backyard Structures can help. With the new Shed Visualizer tool at yodersbackyard.com, you can see how your new shed will look in your yard. For about what you'd pay at the home store, your new shed will arrive fully assembled, be delivered, and placed free of charge, and comes back by a 10-year warranty. Word FM listeners get a free ramp included with your shed purchase. Visualize life with a lot more room at yodersbackyard.com. Partly cloudy and comfortable tonight, the low 53 degrees. There'll be a few areas of fog developing later tonight and into early tomorrow. For the day tomorrow, very nice once again, mostly sunny, 79. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, 61 degrees. Then for Saturday, a mix of clouds and sun with a spotty afternoon shower or thunderstorm, high 78. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Welcome in. Happy to have you with me this afternoon. I'm without John Hall, who's taking a day off, but new Mike joins me Hello. on the Thursday edition of The Ride Home. Greetings to you, new Mike. Greetings to you, Kath. Um, here's my question for you. Shoot. Um, we've been doing a lot of super serious conversations <laughs> on The Ride Home. Yeah. That's an understatement, right? That's definitely an understatement, for sure, over the last couple weeks. So um, since we found out that the Pennsylvania Grand Jury uh, report on abuse in the Catholic Church would be coming out, Mm -hmm. um, we started, you know, delving as deeply as we could into conversations with people who are inside and outside the Catholic Church, um, those who are um, inside and outside of Western Pennsylvania and even uh, the larger state. And um, if you're interested in any of that conversation and those uh, guest interviews and uh, even some of our phone conversations, would you find our website, johnandkathyshow.com? Um, it's the featured series at the top of the page. So if you want to hear what John and I and New Mike have had to say about it ourselves or you want to hear what kind of guests we brought in, what, what, our, what the tenor of the conversation has been like or maybe some facts that you weren't aware of, Please, I really encourage you to go there, johnandkathyshow.com. And if you are a Pittsburgher um, or you're listening from afar um, to this broadcast and you have not read even portions of the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report, let me just say this. You have to do it. Yeah. You just have to do it. Um, this is 
a subject that has been pushed aside and pushed under and hidden for 70 years. Um, this is something that absolutely involves every single person who calls themselves a Christian in uh, the state of Pennsylvania. And we are all in some way, shape, or form, all of us who follow Jesus and all of us who call ourselves Christians, we're all implicated to some degree in this report. I promise you, for people who have yet to believe, who are outside the church, who don't subscribe to any particular belief system or don't go to any church, when they see Christian after reading these news reports, they're going to think of that. They're going to think of people who abuse kids. Um, and it's our job as people who follow Jesus currently to first up and first of all, to stand up for victims, to um, to be people who, when they hear a story of abuse, listen and believe and come alongside and investigate and take it seriously. And more than any possible respect we could have for any organization or any church or anything else, we value the human person. Um, and so if we are people who pledge to ourselves because of this abuse report that we have read, that we will be people who stand up for victims, then that will be something, however small, good that comes out of this circumstance. Um, and second of all, I can say that this is excellent work that the Attorney General's office has done. And this is absolutely essential reading because the more light we bring to this, the more we talk about it, the more we recognize that this is the actual truth of what happened, the closer we will be to allowing God to heal this. I mean, all sorts of dysfunction fester in an atmosphere of silence, in an atmosphere of fear, in an atmosphere of we'll push this aside. And that's what this grand jury report shows over all of these decades. It's just an unwillingness to just come out with it, to admit it, to say this is what I've done, to be honest about it, to honor victims, and to accept that there is a God who is willing to forgive if we are honest about what we've done. Anyway, that's all I have to say. We're not going to have any commentary for the rest of the hour about the uh, grand jury report, but I do just want to encourage you, if you're someone who has not yet read it, first of all, read it. Second of all, if you're interested in more conversation about it, please find us on our website, johnandkathyshow.com. Yes. All right, so enough of that for today. I'm going to a much lighter topic, but I thought of you when I saw this new mic. What's that? Do you and your family use coconut oil? My wife uses it profusely. And what she's is, obsessed with it. What, she, what do you mean profusely? I mean, she uses it for everything. She uses it for skincare. Mm -hmm. She uses it for cooking. Mm -hmm. um, she uses it for. Sometimes she puts it in the laundry detergent to make it have like that the little coconut smell. What? Yeah, she puts it in the wash. Okay, now listen. This is going to be a little upsetting for you. So I just okay. want you to. I oh, want you to ready oh, yourself. No. Oh, jeez. Because <laughs> this is my job. Is to me. whatever bubble of joy you have, I'm here to burst. It better it. not cause some type of crazy <laughs> disease because I definitely have it. An online video that has gone viral. Um, a Harvard professor takes on the popular food coconut oil, and ends up calling it "quote pure poison." What? <laughs> Why? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. It's a lecture by Karen Michaels, who, who's a professor at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. It was delivered, ironically, in German. And being unilingual as I am, I was not able to watch it in German. But I did read the translation that was offered by Business Insider Deutschland. And I checked out what the good doctor had to you say. Tell me. She was hacked off. She just said that this is just a complete public relations inflation of a food that has suspect 
positive quality to start with. I hope this is a myth. Okay, so this is the New York Times today. Um, it's a, a okay. So the the original doctor speaking, Karen Michaels, she's okay. the one who was talking in German. Alrighty. But they interviewed several other doctors in this article. So I just want to give you a couple of them. Okay, Alice H. Lichtenstein, who's from Tufts, she says that um, despite a lot of hype about it. There's virtually no data to support the hype. She says coconut oil is high in saturated fatty acids and saturated fat, and it has all been linked to high cholesterol levels and heart disease. She goes on to say there's little research on the health effects in people who are using coconut oil, but there appears to be no independent benefit of consuming it. I don't believe this. Yeah. Then she goes on to say that... There are different kinds of coconut oil, but the, the kind that we usually see in the grocery store, she said, literally does nothing good for you whatsoever. But if you do buy extra virgin coconut oil, there no. could be some health benefits to that, but not enough to actually offset. Okay. I think I'm in the clear here because I use Trader Joe's coconut oil. Whoa. So. Is that better? Apparently. It's not I don't extra know. olive. I was it's extra virgin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. The, the, uh, the last question, well, not the last question, but maybe the last one we'll talk about, is in terms of health impact, is it better to cook with coconut oil or olive oil? Coconut okay. oil, for sure. Wrong! Come on! Compared to a tablespoon of olive oil, a tablespoon of coconut no. oil contains about six times the amount of saturated fat. I don't believe that. Furthermore, new Mike, olive oil, which is a main component of the heart-healthy Mediterranean diet, contains beneficial polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats. What do you think of that? I, I, think, what, what, does I it, think it's a myth. Does that? <laughs> I weigh 145 pounds soaking wet. I haven't gained a pound since I've been using coconut oil. And that, I've been using it since I've been married to my wife because she's obsessed oh with it. So gosh. it's been like five years. I, I'm telling you, I didn't want to say it. I, did I don't not believe wanna, I did not want to bring this subject to air, but it's in today's New York Times. The heading is, is coconut oil good or bad for you? And the conclusion is bad. What's that, doctor? What's her, what's her name? Dr. Lichtenstein? <laughs> well, that was Lichtenstein. That was Dr. Alice H. Lichtenstein yeah. from Tufts. But the woman speaking in German was Karin Michaels. They're, they're both. I don't know. Do, do you want me to save this for you or do you want me to burn this article? Burn it. All right. Fine. Look, I'm just trying like to that. tell you what I'm reading. I don't need you to like change your whole life. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to my friend Joe Laconte. Um, he's a professor at King's College in New York City. We're going to talk about C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, a great new project about both men coming up soon. WORD. Jay Sekulow is concerned with how the Russia investigation is progressing. When you have something of this constitutional magnitude, I mean, this is just fact. It's not just a yes or no answer. There's a lot of factors that go into it. If you look at the scenario of events that have taken place in this investigation in particular, the corruption at the start of it and the new information, the Bruce Orr information just coming out yesterday, uh, raises serious concerns all the way through. Jay Sekulow Live, weekdays at 1 p.m. on 101.5 WORD. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes or overweight or have high blood pressure. 
Term providers help thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-444-2013. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-444-2013. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-444-2013. 800-444-2013. You think you're getting a price hold, but really you're signing up for Windows. And if you don't cancel within three days, you're obligated to that contract. Energy Swing Windows' Donnie Dara on the length some companies will go to get your business. What some salesmen from national companies are doing is they're getting homeowners to sign something that says they're going to hold your price for 30 days. But what they're really signing is a contract that says you only have three days to cancel. And they don't tell you that. It's a trick. And people are really getting ripped off by this. We don't pressure people at Energy Swing. There's not fine print at all. What you see is what you get. That's why we won the Better Business Bureau Torch Award three years in a row. That's why we just, in, in Western Pennsylvania, won the best of the best on our website. There's actually a video that shows why we were voted as that. When you do the right things right, you're recognized for that. Energy Swing, best of the best. Right now, Word FM listeners get an exclusive 5% off over and above any current offers on windows and doors. Visit EnergySwingWindows.com. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, Find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs, like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray-on bed liners, tonneau covers, WeatherTech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters, always a favorite. Extreme car and truck in Bridgeville, for the extreme in all of us. At ExtremeTruck.net. Life doesn't stop on the weekends, and neither do you. So we understand that it can be hard to find the time to shop for a mattress. This is Robin Trzinski of the Original Mattress Factory, and we have a completely new website designed to help you simplify the mattress shopping experience. Check out our products, view our prices, and even place an order for pickup, local delivery, or to have it shipped outside of our delivery area. Just visit OriginalMattress.com and find a thoughtfully made, honestly priced mattress of your own. The Original Mattress Factory. Great beds, no bull. What can you see? Dr. Joseph Leconti is Associate Professor of History at the King's College in New York City, where he teaches courses on Western civilization and American foreign policy. His previous titles include God, Locke, and Liberty, The Struggle for Religious Freedom in the West, and The Searchers, A Quest for Faith in the Valley of Doubt. His newest work is called A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and a Great War, How J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis Rediscovered Faith, Friendship, and Heroism in the Cataclysm of 1915 to 1918. I have a 16-year-old daughter, 
And uh, I also have a 19-year-old daughter. And so at the start of the summer, we were, you know, all back together again, my husband and I and our daughter who yeah. just just finished her, her uh, freshman year at uh, uh, Grove sorry. City College. And oh, that's great. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right, because Grove we City. we saw you there last year, Joe. Um, You're not old enough to have a 19-year-old. Go ahead. Keep talking. Um, Go ahead. But trust, trust me, I am. But so we, we <laughs> got together at the beginning of the summer, and uh, we talked about, you know, what do, what do you want from the summer? Like, what do you want to make sure you yeah. do? Because if you don't talk about that at the beginning, it doesn't happen. And uh, right, and so my 16 year old said, first thing out of her mouth, I want to watch Lord of the Rings together as a family again. And I thought, no, isn't that fabulous? So we we had prioritized that um, for our kids when they were little. I want to say my daughter who asked the question, who said, who said, this is what I want to do. I think she was probably nine, eight or nine when we watched it the first time. And so now yeah, she's six, yeah. now she's 16 and she feels like, okay, well, you know, I barely remember that. And so anyway, we decided, mm. well, yeah, that's what she wants to do. That's what we're going to do. So last night was the end. So we watched all um, three movies and we watched the extended yeah. cut of each one. So that's 12 ah. hours, right? You have to ah. really, really be <laughs> you're in middle earth yes, over there, aren't you? I am telling you, we were so deep in, Joe, you can't even believe it. Um, that is fabulous. But we we finished it last night, and it was about 10.30. And, I mean, you it, it is The Return of the King is one of my favorite films of all time. But as we yeah. finished it, and, of course, everybody's weeping, it's just such a yeah. gorgeous – this is what I thought to yeah. myself. I thought, what kind of mind – creates a story of such beauty, of such depth, of such incredible scope. Um, The story by which every fantasy book will always be judged because there it's it's just so unique in its um, in its perspective, in its uh, in its solidity, top to bottom, beginning to end. I mean, I mean, the the gift that we have been given in Western civilization by having Lord of the Rings is just incalculable. And I, I know you agree with me on that, Joe. Oh, yeah. And uh, in fact, we'll get into it in our discussion. When we interviewed Neil Ferguson, he's a great British historian, uh, what came out at the end of the conversation, which surprised me, because I don't know if he's a particularly religious guy, he said that the Lord of the Rings and Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, these are foundational texts and introductions to Western civilization. (laughs) It was just amazing Mm -hmm. what he said at the end of that interview. And so I think people have some, especially have an historical perspective, they really appreciate the contribution of that, of that work, of The Lord of the Rings, how, just how unique it is, how uniquely powerful it is. Now, I read That's the book. To hear your daughter. Right, well, I, I read the book the first time when I was in college. I, hadn't, I didn't read it as a kid. And I, I read The Hobbit first, and then I read The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I don't know what it was about it that just captured me. I mean, I think the first thing that captured me is that it's The Hobbit is so charming. Um, if you've yeah, never, if, yeah. if you're listening to this and you've never read Tolkien, listen, it's not scary. It's not like too deep for you. Just, you know, open up The Hobbit and you will laugh. It is, it is, yeah, it, is a, right. it is a sweet story, but it has depth to it. It's epic. And, yeah. it's, and it, it just tells you everything you need to know to kind of get in the right frame of mind to understand what's coming in The Lord of the Rings. Um, and Joe, you yourself um, have written a book that is one of my favorite 
favorites, truly. I mean, I'm such a geek about this kind of thing. So you and I've told you this <laughs> ten different times, but it's one of my favorites in the last five years: A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. How J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis rediscovered faith, friendship, and heroism in the Cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. And until I read your book, I mean, I'd always appreciated this incredible work of Lord of the Rings, and I loved the films and all that sort of thing. But until yeah. I read your book, I did not understand what those two what what Jared Tolkien had been through in war in World War 1 in the gear yeah. up to World War 1 and his time on the battlefield and just how all of that kind of poured out in his writing yeah and that is such an important point to make at because uh we can't appreciate their achievement uh, Tolkien's achievement Lewis's achievement unless we understand that they've been through the furnace of war they didn't become embittered. They didn't become cynical. They didn't give up on the idea of individual heroism or that the, you know, that the individual person, the smallest person can make a difference. When their generation, the, the authors, the writers, the intellectuals in the 1920s after the First World War, they were giving up on that idea mm-hmm. because the individual seemed to count for nothing in the trenches with the mechanized slaughter and all the rest of it. But Tolkien and Lewis both, they reach back uh, to an earlier tradition, a, cr- a deeply Christian tradition, about the importance of the individual and the, and the reality of heroism. And so as you suggested, you know, they, they produce these stories of great moral beauty. And I think that was a combination of their own life experience, how they chose to interpret the, the horror of the war, what they saw, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so their life experience, but also what they were steeped in as scholars, as, uh, as Oxford dons, the literature that they read, the great epic works that they loved, Beowulf, the death of Arthur, uh, the Aeneid. I mean, these guys were, were just amazing scholars, and so they had this sense of, okay, what are the great works of Western civilization that we need to hang on to, that communicates something deeply true and important about the human condition. Mm-hmm. And they brought all that, I think, into their stories. After the film was over last night, I was, you know, I, it, it's just such um it's such an epic world that you've been involved with when you watch any of these films or when you read the book that, yeah. of course, I couldn't step away from it immediately. So I went and got my, my dog-eared, I mean, copy that, of Lord of the Rings that I've dropped in water twice. I mean, it looks like it's been through a war. <laughs> but I went and pulled it out, and I read the uh, I read Tolkien's prologue um, for the book. And, yeah. um, it, you know, he, he talks a little bit in the prologue about the process of writing it and how, how difficult it was, how it kind of stopped and yeah. started for him. Um, one of the things yeah. that he brought up that he was insistent on, um, is how it was not that, that, uh, Mordor, the whole world of Middle Earth was not a reaction or a retelling of World War II. And because yeah. it was published in 54, I think is when the first one came out. Um, yeah. apparently many people assumed that that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still debate about this. And I, I'm still not sure how to think about it because he starts writing this, this epic work in around 1937, 37, 38. And, you know, by 1937-38, there is a real sense of apprehension and anxiety about the rise of fascism right, and communism and, the fe- and what's coming and the real fears of another global conflict. That, especially among the British, you could see it in the literature, uh, in the conferences that are being held, the peace conferences, there's a great anxiety. And, and Tolkien could not have been immune to any of that. That has to be on the backdrop. I have a sense that even unconsciously, the onset of the war, especially by 1939, when Britain is in the war, uh, I just have a sense that at, at the very least, 
there's a deep sense of urgency that he feels because think about it britain is under assault in 1940 the battle mm-hmm. of britain is raging right uh and london's being bombed and it's not clear if who's going to win this thing it is not clear that britain is going to survive or that western civilization is going to survive so any human being in in that situation any brit in that situation who's an author there's going to be a sense of urgency, and I think you do pick up on that. So, no, I don't think it's necessarily some allegory of the, of the Second World War and Nazism, and I, I would agree with Tolkien it's not. But certainly the force of events is, is putting pressures on him, has to be weighing on his mind and his imagination. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got sons serving in the Second World War. For Pete's sake, right? Right, and and and, and right. In, I believe it's in the same um, in the same portion of the prologue. He says, though it's hard for any author to determine where from where his ideas come. You know, he yeah. he, he kind of said, you know, we're all a part of the life that we're living. And so we can't yes. divorce ourselves from our own yes. experience. And so it's kind of convoluted to imagine or try to assess how much our experience, you know, feeds into the kind of art and, yes. and literature that we're producing. Yes. There was an expression that, Lew- that uh, Tolkien used in one of his essays about why he writes the way he does and people trying to understand the source of his writing, the source of his ideas. And the phrase he used was the leaf mold of the mind. Hmm. And what he meant was all the things that he's read, all the things that he's thought about, the experiences that he's had in a subconscious way, in an unconscious way, they, they just bubble up over time. And as you sit down to write and engage in the creative process, what comes out are things you couldn't have possibly anticipated. The leaf mold of the mind. Mm -hmm. It's just an amazing phrase. I think he's captured something for those of us who's at least part-time and try to make our living as as writers. I think he's on to something. Yeah, you don't know where some of these ideas came from. You know, the, the the famous revelation from Tolkien when he's sitting there grading student papers, uh, and finally, and which is re- total drudgery for any professor or teacher who's honest about it. And then he comes to a blank sheet of paper, and he's relieved to find a blank sheet of paper. And he he just scrawls on the blank sheet of paper in a hole in the ground. There lived a hobbit. I mean, how that's just what a moment. I mean, I just I don't mean I don't I can't be. I don't know. I don't want to be too much of a fangirl, but to me, that's like it's like a lightning bolt from heaven. It is. It has to be. And then he goes back and reflecting on that years later, he says, you know, I thought I'd better go find out what hobbits were like eventually. (laughs) We're talking to Joe. That's the creative mind. We're talking to Joe LeConte. He's the author of the book, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe and a Great War, and also a brand new documentary. We need to step away. But when we come back, we'll talk more about the book, more about the new project coming up and how you can be involved. I've been a teacher for 25 years. My younger son was tutored a lot. He didn't like certain clothes and he had all of these other sensory situations going on. The teachers were suspecting dyslexia, suspecting ADD. He wasn't able to retain information and he was working harder than any of the other kids. But it was the eye doctor who told me about brain balance and that was the first time a physician had mentioned brain balance. After about two weeks of doing the program, I noticed that one day he just 
slapped on a pair of pants like it was no big deal. I really noticed that was a huge change for him. He has also started doing his homework by himself. He is able to do things that he wasn't able to do. In the long term, this was a much better investment than putting our son on medication. I would say you have to try this. The results are magnificent. Give your child the foundation they need to succeed in school. Call Brain Balance today and find out how you can change the life of your child and your family. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to GEICO. I've never felt more alive. Disclaimer, GEICO cannot guarantee you will feel more alive. You either possess functioning respiratory and circulatory systems, or you do not, or you are a zombie. If you are indeed a brain-starved zombie and you would like to save money on car insurance, the GEICO legal team applauds your excellent life choices, even in your shambling afterlife. But we strongly encourage you to visit GEICO.com or download the GEICO app. Please stay a minimum of 500 feet away from our large and presumably delicious, delicious brains. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. It's a struggle doing life alone, so why not join us at Impact Christian Church? Impact is a group of imperfect people seeking to let God love us and love others through us. Your kids will love our high-energy ministries geared to their needs. Our upbeat, positive services and practical teaching will encourage and help you, and you'll find true significance as you join us in striving to make a difference in the lives of others. For more information, visit us at impactpittsburgh.com. When you clean out your garage, you find all kinds of things. Hey, lucky rabbit's foot. Things you forgot you lost. There's my old comic book collection. With a new shed from Yoder's Backyard Structures, you can create more space inside by putting more stuff outside. Annika? Fully assembled, painted, and delivered in place free of charge. Steve. Oh, hey, Mike. Good to see you. Hey, uh, honey. I found your brother. Find out what you forgot you lost. Like more space at yodersbackyard.com. If you're not in the club, you're missing out. Word FM discount shopping club members get up to half off great deals every day, right from your computer or smartphone, like today. Smile nice for half the price. Lamparski Orthodontics offers club members half off an Invisalign upgrade. That's a $1,300 value, yours for just $650. Lamparski Orthodontics, with four area locations. Log on now to wordfm.com, keyword shopping. Partly cloudy and comfortable tonight, the low 53 degrees. There'll be a few areas of fog developing later tonight and into early tomorrow. For the day tomorrow, very nice once again, mostly sunny, 79. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, 61 degrees. Then for Saturday, a mix of clouds and sun with a spotty afternoon shower or thunderstorm, I-78. Amaki Weather Meteorologist Danielle Niddle on 101.5 Word FM. What can you see?
right, we're back with Dr. Joseph Laconti, Associate Professor of History at the King's College in New York City, where he teaches courses on Western civilization and American foreign policy. He's the author of a number of books, including A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, How J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis Rediscovered Faith, Friendship, and Heroism in the Cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. Joe, you know, you're a writer yourself, and, I, and I'm not a writer, and so I kind of want to get in your head a little bit. Um, I, I mentioned in our first segment that my family and I just finished watching uh, the Lord of the Rings films last night, and it's it's probably the third or fourth time I've seen yeah. it. Um, but it's the second time that we've watched it together as a family. And it's just, if, if you're listening to the show and you think, wow, that's, you know, I'm not really into fantasy or I never really got that. Yeah. Listen, just give it a chance. I, I can't think of another work of fiction that has affected me. I mean, there's not even another book close to how foundational uh, Lord of the Rings was in my life and my understanding, wow. even today, wow. and how I think about the gospel, how I think about the mission, uh, the story of God in the world. Um, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful work. But as, as I went back and read yeah. the prologue after I finished the film last night, I just kind of wanted to get inside Tolkien's head a little bit. And one of the things he he writes about in yeah. in the battle scenes is that he said, you know, it was difficult for him to um, create the battle scenes. He said, or better said, record them. Mm. And, and I thought well, that's really wow. interesting. So in his head as a writer, mm. it wasn't that he was creating what was happening. It was almost like it was being created and he was just recording it. He was just like the journalist. On, and I thought, do you have to get in that place when you're a writer? Do you have to kind of let the the work of art like evolve on its own and then you just kind of step back? You know, it's a terrific question. And it's probably going to be a different answer for those who write fiction like, like Tolkien and Lewis did. Uh, that kind of creative process uh, as opposed to nonfiction. But I think that what's similar in both genres is that um, material and ideas concepts will will come to you will come into your mind that you just didn't anticipate you couldn't mm-hmm. have mapped it out and you're not even sure where it came from and i think this is part and this might be good for your audience to think about is we need to have some space in our minds space in our day when it's we're just not filled with clutter but we have time to think about things that really are beautiful and good and true mm-hmm. and let those things percolate in our minds a little bit and get out some of the clutter that certainly helps me as a writer as I uh, approach a particular task, I've got to have some some really good and noble and decent ideas flowing around in my head for a while before I sit down to write, or it's much, much, much harder. Mm-hmm. And I suspect Tolkien and Lewis, because they were so drenched in such wonderful writing themselves, given their profession as, as, uh, as academics, as scholars, um, professors of literature, they were so immersed in these amazing worlds of, of virtue and heroism and sacrifice. Well, when they sit down to write, they've got a storehouse. Mm-hmm. They've got things right. to draw yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's got to right. make a real difference, right? It, it really does. And there's, there is no other work of art, anything like the, um, like the impact of the, of the Bible in, uh, well, in world civilization, but I'm thinking particularly yeah. in Western civilization. And especially, you know, talking now into a culture today that is largely biblically illiterate, not just general culture, yeah. but even people who are in the yeah. church who are, who are biblically illiterate. I mean, when you look at the, the works of literature and the, the, um, the, 
the writers were facile. They understood the Bible, even if they didn't believe yes. it. There was an understanding yes. of it as literature. And so it yes. informed how they wrote. I mean, just, you know, my daughter's reading A Wrinkle in Time Again by Madeline Langle, another one of my very, very favorite books. But in mm. that book, at the end of it, when Charles Wallace starts talking about, he, he's talking to Meg, his sister, and he's kind of trying to explain um, how something's working with their interaction with their father. And he starts talking about the interaction with um, our cosmos and how it all fits together. Mm. And then he starts quoting yeah. from the book of Isaiah. It's just the wow. most beautiful, seamless thing. Now, the only way that that was creatable as a, from Madeline Langle's perspective as an author is that she was that text lived in her so that when she was yeah. writing her fictional story, it just yeah. came out. And that's the yeah. way I think of Lewis and Tolkien also is that yes. those works lived in them. And so when they yes. went to write, it just it just it couldn't help but come out. I think that's exactly right. And put it another way, Kathy, try to imagine the Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia or Lewis's The Space Trilogy, which I'm reading again, uh, mm. if I haven't read in a long time, reading again. Try to imagine any of those works without a biblical view of the human person and of life and the cosmos. Try to imagine any of those works being written or having any kind of power to speak to us. It, it's, it, it's just completely inconceivable, isn't it? No, it is. I mean, even though Tol Tolkien's not explicit about his Christian faith in The Lord of the Rings, of course, but boy, this is a moral universe, oh. right? There are transcendent truths that individuals either submit to and embrace or they reject. Right. And their souls are caught up in that in that decision making process, right? Right, and it reminds me of the Book of Esther, where God is never mentioned in the Book of Esther, but uh, He is the unseen. Uh, he if you, the yes. book the book doesn't exist without God. I mean, He is the ultimate right. actor in it. He's the ultimate genesis of that book. The same thing with the Lord That's of the right. Rings. You know, I mean, I in fact, when it was over, um, I asked my daughters, "So, you know, who was the Lord of the Rings?" And they were like, well, of course, it's Sauron. And I said, well, is that the right answer? I mean, is there a big, is there, I mean, was he, ulti yeah. was he ultimately the Lord of the Rings? You know, what I see is that the, the unmentioned God of the universe is the one who ultimately yes. was the Lord of those rings. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. yes, always present but never named exactly. in Tolkien's works as he, put, as he put it in one of his own letters. So that's the way he wanted to write it. He wanted, he wanted a more kind of indirect, implicit a kind of uh, Christian worldview, it really embedded in the story. And Lewis was more direct, I think in part because of his own conversion to Christianity, Lewis was more naturally an evangelist in that sense. But they both write these incredibly powerful stories for the reason you just suggested. They're anchored in the transcendent. They're anchored in a biblical understanding of life and the world. Joe Laconte's with us. A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War is the book. How J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis rediscovered faith, friendship, and heroism in the cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. Time for us to step away for a bit. When we come back, we'll talk about the new documentary project on today's Ride Home. 101.5 WORD. Turning Point with David Jeremiah. Sometimes we need to smell a pleasing aroma and remember that God is good. He gave us five senses and his provisions come to us through all five of those senses to remind us of his goodness. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, 
the God you may not know. Next time on Turning Point. This evening at 7.30 on 101.5 WORD. If you're serious about wanting to be your own boss and if you're serious about wanting to succeed, your very first phone call should be to Vanguard. Rob Thomas is living proof of how quickly you can grow with Vanguard Cleaning System's proven model of success. That's shocking, ain't it? Shock me. <laughs> when I started, it was me, my brother, and a truck. Now I got two company trucks, eight people that work for me, and I got an office on Braddock Avenue. And that's in a year and a half. They give me my first contract, a company down on the North Shore. The next thing you know, one turn to two, two turn to three, three turn to ten. Because they got good reviews about my work. It makes me feel like I'm making a difference. The trainer was good. You get a lot of one-on-one time, FaceTime. And it's not like you go through training and that's it. They're always a phone call away. You want to go to Vanguard because they're going to put you in the best position to succeed. With Vanguard backing me, sky's the limit. To start your own janitorial business or expand your current one, call Vanguard Cleaning Systems of Western PA, 724-870-4120. Bodhi Taney, author of the incredible best-selling Zion Chronicles and Zion Covenant series, returns to the setting of Israel in On the Mountain of the Lord, the first book in the new series, The Elijah Chronicles. In On the Mountain of the Lord, Taney teams up with Holy Land history expert Ray Bentley to give her dedicated historical fiction fans a thrilling story set in the world's most sacred and mysterious sites. Come along on a journey from London to the farthest corners of the world with Jack Garrison, a man who has lost his faith after a life-altering and devastating event. Jack is sent on a fact-finding mission in Israel and Palestine, where he's attacked by radical Islamic terrorists and is being tracked down by an enemy who wants to stop him from finding the truth that the Bible's prophecy about the nation of Israel and the world's future is true and unfolding before his eyes. Get your copy now of best-selling authors Bodie Taney and Ray Bentley's incredible new adventure book, On the Mountain of the Lord. Available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. RPTS, the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Point Breeze, presents the 2018 Westminster Conference, Saturday, September 8th, at Memorial Park Church in Allison Park. Join Drs. Ligon Duncan, Joel Beakey, Michael Lefebvre, and RPTS President Barry York for this year's theme, Soundly Preaching the Word of God, preaching that is plain, faithful, wise, and zealous. The 2018 Westminster Conference, bringing the Westminster Confession into the 21st century. Register now at rpts.edu. This is Chris Abernathy of Abernathy and Hagerman. Estate administration isn't something we do on the side. It's the heart and soul of our practice. Any attorney can write a will, but we have the experience to administer your estate plan properly to achieve the goals we all share, to protect your assets, minimize taxes, and ensure your inheritance gets to the ones you love. How you get there is specific to your situation. So let's talk. Abernathy and Hagerman, legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. Finishing out a conversation with Dr. Joseph Laconte. 
Associate Professor of History at the King's College in New York City, where he teaches courses on Western civilization and American foreign policy. Um, his previous titles include God, Locke, and Liberty, The Struggle for Religious Freedom in the West, and The Searchers. Gosh, I love that book, Joe. A Quest for Faith in the Valley of Doubt. Um, but uh, his, his latest is the one that we've been talking about, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War. So uh, we've talked about Tolkien. We haven't talked about C.S. Lewis yet in our conversation. Um, C.S. Lewis also served in World War I. He was different in that um, he went into the war and came out of the war as an atheist. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where the influence of Tolkien in his life is so crucial, because it's Tolkien's Catholic Christian faith that really influences Lewis and keeps him in the game, keeps him in the pursuit of truth. Because Lewis encounters in Tolkien a guy who is his intellectual peer. They love the same kinds of stories, and it just kind of compels Lewis to reconsider his assumptions about Christianity and myth. Uh, and is Christianity just another myth, or is there something re- real there? Is there reality? Is there truth in this myth? And that's what Tolkien helps him to see, and that's instrumental his conversion to Christianity. And, of course, then their friendship, I think, becomes one of the most consequential friendships in the 20th century. It's hard to name another friendship that had and continues to have such long-lasting positive influences on so many people, given their creative works. So talk about that friendship. I mean, um, if you are a fan of, of both of these men or one of them, you've probably heard of the Inklings, which was their, their weekly group. Um, talk about how this friendship evolved, Joe, and why you think it's as significant as it turned out to be. Yeah, I think part of it was that they both served in the war, and they had the experience of combat, the hellish experience of combat that they shared. I think that's part of what drew them together initially when they met at Oxford in 1926. But because they loved the same things, and then certainly when Lewis becomes a Christian, now they're, now they're both members of this Christian family. And now they see the world essentially the same way through the lens of the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so they're able to encourage each other not only to write uh, these great epic works, but to be faithful to that Christian vision and that Christian quest. And they do that for each other. And and Tolkien says he never would have finished The Lord of the Rings without Lewis's great encouragement. Lewis never would have, he might never have even published his first uh, work of serious fiction, um, uh, Out of the Silent Planet, the beginning of the, of the Space Trilogy, without Tolkien helping him to find a publisher. And then they're just off to the races, both of them, right. with, their, with their great literary achievements. So that friendship went on, uh, it lasted their entire lives, uh, not only the two of them, but the two of them as the anchor uh, for the Inklings, this group of fellow Christian scholars and writers who met every week for, I don't know, something like 15, 16, 17 years, wow. every Thursday night in Lewis's rooms in, at Oxford, and then also at the Eagle and Child Pub on Tuesday mornings. So think about that. Every Thursday without fail, to read out loud, to critique each other's writings. Talk about an it's, accountability group. I know, and we, and we all get to be the recipients of it. All these decades yeah. later, I mean, it's so fascinating, yeah. and it's fantastic. Yeah. So from your That's perspective, true. you feel like this this friendship, um, the work of these two men, and the way that they you know, incubated the works of the other ne- is a story that needs to be told. So this book that I love so yeah. much, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, is being made into a five-part documentary film series. Uh, talk about this project, Joe. Yeah, thank you, Kathy, for the opportunity to do that. You know, if I had to boil it down to three words... It would be these three words, war, friendship, and beauty, 
because it's war, the, the cataclysm of the First World War, the onset of the Second World War, that makes possible the friendship between Tolkien and Lewis. And it's the friendship between Tolkien and Lewis that makes possible the creation of these great epic works, which, if you think about it, they really embody moral beauty. So it's war, friendship, and beauty. And that's the story we want to tell through a five-part documentary series based on the book uh, in a way that has just never been told on, uh, on the screen. And I'm working with some great filmmakers, uh, and uh, we're going to be true to the story of Tolkien and Lewis, and that's part of our challenges. You know, we've got we to gotta raise our own money to do this, not go begging to Hollywood with a script in our hands and say, okay, can you fund our production? We've got to make it first so that we, we control the integrity uh, of, the, uh, of the story. And so I'm, I, have, I haven't been excited as encouraged uh, about anything in a long time as I am about this film project. It's great fun. But this is a project, Joe, that you still need help on. I mean, you're still raising money for this. Yeah, we're still raising money. Uh, if I could make a little plug here, HobbitWardrobe.com. HobbitWardrobe.com is where you can see the trailer to the film. It's about a four-and-a-half-minute four trailer. And if you want to uh, support financially or in other ways, that, that will guide you uh, in a way to do that. But, uh, so we've raised some money. We've been to, to the U.K. We've done some filming, but we've got to get back to France where Tolkien and Lewis fought on the battlefields of France. We've got to go back to the U.K., more interviews, more filming, uh, so that we can have episode one and then pretty quickly afterwards, ep episodes two of the five-episode uh, film series here that we are negotiating right now with uh, Amazon.com, Netflix. It's going to be one of these outlets mm -hmm. uh, where this is going to uh, appear. And so we're just trying to generate as much interest and enthusiasm as we can along the way. Listen, this is to me, a thrilling project. It absolutely is. I've already given yeah. to it. I'm happy to give to it again. Uh, I think it's so important. <laughs> for, well, I think it's so important for us to understand so and, and to acknowledge this gift that we've been given um, with, with yeah. the works of of. Tolkien, and we haven't even talked, you know, we could, you could talk about Narnia, you could talk about the Space Trilogy, you could talk about the countless works of, yeah. um, of theology and Christian living that, and, um, apologetics that C.S. Lewis yeah. produced. I mean, um, the debt we owe to them and the way that we can yes. honor the God that inspired them is to make That's this right. story a reality for people and to help them to understand where these stories came from. I can't tell you how many people have been changed and have, you know, are geeks yes. about Narnia or, or Geeks about Tolkien or geeks about Lord of the Rings and don't recognize the gospel story, the ancient story That's of God right. that inspired them. And this is one way that we can get that message out. That's exactly right, Kathy. Thank you so much for that. And we're determined to tell it with, with integrity. And I think doing it on the in a documentary form where you can mix interviews, uh, scene recreations, old photographs, old footage, you place these men historically in their time, in their place, in a way that's very difficult to do on the printed page. I think potentially if we do it right, God willing we will, uh, I think the, the impact of this documentary film can really be immense to bring the story of Tolkien and Lewis to an entirely new audience. That's exciting. The, tra that's really the exciting trailer is just terrific. I, I mean, it is. Oh, Joe, you. Uh, you know, I'm a big supporter of this, and I'm happy to give I you know. a platform to talk about it more. And uh, anytime you need, like, a really geeky person from Pittsburgh to talk <laughs> about how great these two authors are, you have my number. That is, that is Joe that. LeConte from the King's College. Um, HobbitWardrobe.com. HobbitWardrobe.com. You can see the trailer for the uh, five-part documentary film series. And please, donate. If you, can. If you are a person who's been impacted by these two men, by C.S. Lewis and by J.R.R. Tolkien, 
give now. Um, make this a reality so that people who don't understand the um, the depth of the work of these men and, and the depth of the friendship that inspires the work that we know. I mean, this is just a wonderful way to get that out into the larger world. So, Joe, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kathy. Great being with you as always. More details available. Find us at com on Facebook, The Ride Home with John and Kathy, or on Twitter. I'll be uh, tweeting out hobbitwardrobe.com in just a minute. Much more coming up on today's Ride Home. Whoa, long time no see. It's me, the rock t-shirt in the back of your closet. Dude, remember? You crowd surfed in me, man. But you haven't worn me in like forever. I get it, you're retired, but I still got some rock left in me. So take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to Goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. RPTS, the Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Point Breeze, presents the 2018 Westminster Conference, Saturday, September 8th, at Memorial Park Church in Allison Park. Join Drs. Ligon Duncan, Joel Beakey, Michael Lefebvre, and RPTS President Barry York for this year's theme, Soundly Preaching the Word of God, preaching that is plain, faithful, wise, and zealous. The 2018 Westminster Conference, bringing the Westminster Confession into the 21st century. Register now at rpts.edu. Right now, there are young people across the world facing a tough choice. Continue their dream of education or drop out to help their family put food on the table. You can help change their future in a single moment. See how far your support can go at unbound.org. Interesting story, uh, Wall Street Journal today. A couple interesting stories, but this is the most current one. Uh, you know that uh, Paul Manafort's trial uh, was finished within the last couple days. And um, he was uh, being tried on 18 counts, and uh, 10 counts were declared mistrial because the jury could not agree. He was convicted on eight. Well, I read today in this article by uh, Aruna Vizwanatha. Hmm. It's my best guess. I don't know, Aruna. I'm doing the best I can. Anyway, um, the writer pens one holdout juror, only one, kept Paul Manafort from being convicted on all 18 tax and bank fraud counts he faced in the Virginia trial that ended earlier this week, another juror said just yesterday. The juror's name is Paula Duncan. She spoke publicly uh, in an interview on Fox News and said that the evidence in the case against the former Trump campaign chairman was, quote, overwhelming, and that the other jurors had tried to convince the lone holdout an unidentified woman, to convict on all counts. Instead, the jury voted Tuesday to convict Mr. Manafort on only eight counts, as I said. Uh, Jurors were deadlocked on the remaining ten. And uh, this lone uh, person who spoke out, Paula Duncan, she said this, quote, I didn't want Paul Manafort to be guilty, but he was, and no one is above the law. She said this on Fox News. She said she was also a Trump supporter and kept a Make America Great Again hat in her car during the trial. So good for her. Good for her that she's a supporter of the president. And that did not cause her to uh, change her mind on the guilt or innocence of Paul Manafort because it shouldn't. Um, anyway, she also said that the jurors wanted to reach a unanimous decision and that she and the other 10 jurors pressed the holdout, the one singular holdout, to look at the evidence over and over. Quote, we all tried to convince her to look at the paper trail. We laid it out in front of her again and again, and she still said that she had reasonable doubt. 
So interesting uh, look inside the uh, deliberation room in a, a trial of that um, high profile. And it's just fascinating to me and just so gratifying to think that a woman who's a real Trump fan, a real Trump fan, um, was able to say, OK, well, this guy is a friend of Mr. Trump's, but my allegiance to the president does not uh, make me convinced of the innocence of his friend. And so good for her. And uh, three cheers for America. All right. Another article from the Wall Street Journal, New Mike, I bring to your attention because there are two impassioned opinions that are penned here and they are over perhaps an unusual subject. And that is the T-shirt, the T-shirt, the T-shirt. Okay, one opinion pens that crew necks are the only way to go and that V-necks are passe. uh, They show too much. And they're just the kind of thing that every good and well-dressed man should avoid. Wait, 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 wait. You're saying that they're saying that the V-necks are, are bad. too visible. Yeah. V-necks show what? too much. V-necks show too much, especially they're talking in particular about dressing men. Okay. V-necks show too much in the chest. Nobody wants to see that much of oh, a man's chest. okay. I see. Okay. I see. That a, cre- that a crew I neck is better. I thought you meant the shirt. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. Just the chest. Though. Right. Showing right. too much chest. Okay. While another man pens the exact opposite. He says that V-necks are actually more stylish. They are. He said that they're more comfortable, and he says that even though there was a time in uh, in our you know fashion history where American men showed too much chest with a deep V, he says at this point we're in a good conservative place, and he thinks that men ought to embrace the V more than the crew. So I, I ask you, being a paragon of fashion as you are, new Mike. Yeah. Do you go crew or do you go V? Give me the V neck. What? The crew neck is way too old. The crew neck has been like a hundred. It's it's like old school. I'm cheering you a, on. It's been around for like a hundred years. We need the V neck. And plus, uh, like, yeah. you can get like specific. There's like a specific depth you can get with V necks. You can get you can get a hardcore depth V neck where it's like all the way down, right? Or you can get like the low depth, you know. But yeah, absolutely, V neck is okay, my Mike. Three cheers for you. Thank you, Kat. I mean, Thanks. we're so used to talking about John Hall's fashion rules, but rarely do we talk about <laughs> yours. Right. Just super happy about it. I wonder what he I wonder what he uses. I mean, I heaven knows. Knowing him, it's definitely it's probably a turtleneck. It is probably the turtleneck. <laughs> Okay. Well, he grew up in the sixties, so it's he, he probably likes a lot of chest hair. So. He's trying to be like, yeah. you know, um James Conn or something. Yeah. Do you, are you picking the uh, V-neck, Mike, for purposes of, of comfort or purposes of, of uh, fashion forwardness? Oh, definitely style. Oh, definitely. Okay. St- actually, both. But aren't style they more comfortable? They're a lot more comfortable. I can't comfortable. stand stuff around my neck. Neither do I. I absolutely I hate can't it. Stand. I got to have a tagless, too. Okay. So, new Mike and I vote heartily for V-necks. Hey, thanks for being with us today. All the information about the show, johnandkathyshow.com. Have a great night, Pittsburgh. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.